Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. In his seminal work, Liquid Modernity, the Polish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman writes this. Forms of modern life may differ in quite a few respects, but what unites them all is precisely their fragility, temporariness, vulnerability, and inclination to constant change. To be modern means to modernize compulsively, obsessively, not so much just to be, let alone to keep its identity intact, but forever becoming, avoiding completion, staying underdefined. Each new structure, which replaces the previous one, as soon as it is declared old-fashioned and past its use-by date, is only another momentary settlement, acknowledged as temporary and until further notice. This is what it means to live not in what philosophers once described as post-modernity, but in a time of liquid modernity, the growing conviction that change is the only permanence and uncertainty the only certainty. On the episode today, I am joined once again by Reverend Hayden Butler, and we are going to be discussing how Christians, how church formation, how the Christian life is meant to find its way in a time where there are no longer stable structures, institutions, identities, jobs, any number of things. So much of this language of fluidity and liquidity, whether it's coming from a philosopher or a Facebook post or an Instagram caption, so much of this has been imbibed as what our culture is up to. That, that to say that anything's certain is to immediately be wrong. Is to say that anything is permanent is to be nearsighted and maybe biased and maybe um, an ideologue of the worst sort. How do we as Christians live in a time of so much flux and change in which change itself has become the good, in which change itself has become the high value? of our culture. Uh, I am asking Reverend Butler today to kind of bring us into an older world uh, with some different language, uh, a world that he has been shaped in, um, a tradition and a way of thinking as a a pastor, but as a Christian that has given him some resources to think about this question. And so Hayden, first of all, once again, welcome. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Um, I am sorry that I'm sort of myself sort of trying to grasp how to introduce this mm. because the moment I think about the question, the moment I have too many examples and, <laughs> and there's just a fire hose right. of ideas. But you and I are both pastors, right. and I think that's where we want to root this. Is We are people who have been called by God to help uh, shepherd people's souls, lives through this time it's no use uh, wishing it was another time right. or maybe for us wishing we were on an island in Ireland or off the coast of Ireland somewhere. <laughs> um, this is the time in which we've been called to walk with the Lord, 
to discover um, that deep connection with Jesus and the world he brings us into. How, as a pastor, do you uh, begin to take your people uh, through this time of such change and such instability? I think it begins um, with a piece of wisdom that uh, was imparted to me by my own spiritual director and spiritual father. Um, And when I first rolled into, um, you know, dropped in on an an Anglican service, um, uh, he he pulled me aside after the service and introduced himself. And and, um, I said, you know, what does it what does it take to really kind of start learning what's going on here? And he said, stick around a while. And I think that's where I think we begin with um, where I think the pastoral sensibility needs to be um, for our time, because we are pastoring in our time. If our time is characterized by that kind of that, that fluid you know, modernity, right, the, the, that, that kind of constant propensity to change, um, I think that spiritual formation and the kind of prophetic voice that speaks into our time that's characterized like that begins with this call to stick around a while. So I grew up, um, I've, I've grown up in, a, in several different traditions and um, have spent, you know, a matter of years in each of them. Um, but one of the things that always kind of haunted in the back of my head, especially, you know, as I was going through college and, and, and going through that kind of redefining process that always attends that period of time, um, was this fear that I would end up just kind of hopping from place to place to place um, which really would, was just uh, was uh, uh, was just going from church to church, and, and as it fluctuated with my own tastes, the perennial church shock. Right? Exactly right. right. I, I did not want to be that. Um, you were I did, aware enough to not want to be that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to be that. Yeah. Um, and I and I didn't know. I didn't know why. But like, mm-hmm. I, I had a I had a, a longing to belong. I mean, and I think when when someone is seeking out a church, I think they have that longing. Um, but I think that longing is um, complicated. Right, all with all of us, with um, the inevitable um, baggage that comes along with actually being a part of any community, right? Which is, um, you know, I'm among these people with these um, these strengths and these weaknesses, mm-hmm. and um, there's there's always that kind of pull in the back of the head saying, like, I wonder if maybe there's something a little more perfect, you know, around the corner. And so, for me, uh, my my pastor's advice, you know, to stick around a while. Um, it was it was helpful because it, it brought me into um, it brought me into interaction with a, a very old principle that actually has attended church life for many centuries, and that's the um, the discipline of stability. Um, and stability um, is is not um, it, it's 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 less of a temperament and more of a commitment. Stability is an idea that comes to us through the sort of the tradition of Saint Benedict, right? In his his pastoral rule for monks. And it was put in stark clarity in the rule of St. Benedict that when you had committed to a monastery, you could not go on to any other monastery. Like if you were going to be a monk, 
uh, once you had taken your vows at a place, you were a monk at that place. No monastery shopping. No monastery shopping, Dang right? It. This is not a new impulse. Where is this is not America. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not a new impulse that attends us. This seems to be something that yeah. has always attended yeah. uh, people. And so um, St. Benedict saw, uh, saw in this a need to speak prophetically against it in his own time, right? Where, you know, you'd, you'd be a monk, you'd, you'd, you'd get involved at a particular monastery, and then you'd find out the one down the road is like, they've got a way cooler monastery, and you're just like, and, or they're way holier yeah. as, you know. And so uh, you're going, oh, I'm going to go be part of that monastery, because then I can be a real monk. Yes. I, can be, I can have a real monastic life right. at that point. And he said, nah, that's an impulse that will kill your soul FOMO. if you do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. the monastery. So I think, I think that wisdom of just stick around a while is, is a good intro into that. So I, I think, I think that, that brings us into that, that discipline of stability. I love that you said the discipline of stability and illustrated it because um, when we say like, you know, is this person stable? Is this person not? A lot of times people think stability is almost a personality trait. Right, exactly. You, know? you happen to be calm or boring. And so you are, we, we think of you as stable, right. reliable. Yeah. You can almost be insulting, right? But I, on the other hand, I'm just sort of free and I am mm-hmm. just sort of expressive and who even knows what I am and I'm just discovering <laughs> myself all the time, right? That can sound like a pseudo call to great adventure all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to sally forth, right? Uh, and to test yourself, to find out who you are, to follow your impulse, to follow your heart, as the Hallmark card would say. But you're saying for a Christian, for deep formation of any kind, whether the monastery, the evangelical church, the Anglican church, whatever whatever world in which the, the Lord has sort of raised or called somebody to be a disciple— Part of discipleship is simply sticking around. Right. And that that is a discipline. Yep. And it only happens because you keep showing up. It's a deliberate choice. It doesn't happen accidentally. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think we I think one of the things we can we all have in common as Christians is we realize that growth in the in the Christian life is is being formed in love for God and neighbor. Right. Um, we, and you know, this, that we, we say that, that those are the two great commandments to love the Lord, your God, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but it's amazing how sometimes we can, I think we, we can treat love as, as it's reflected in that, that great, than the great commandments as, uh, different from how we treat love in any other, uh, respect. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we think about the love between friends, right, um, I don't think anyone would reasonably say I can cultivate a deep love for a friend um, by hanging out with them very sporadically, hanging out with them, and then and then always having an eye to the friends I, I want to have, and then being willing to drop that friend and going on to the next friend. Um, I don't think any any sane person would, would say that that's right. a good way to form friendship. We think of it in even more the arti- the example of of you know of committed of committed like relationships like spouses, right? right. Um, it it would be it, it, I don't think anyone would reasonably say you know I can I can cultivate a deep abiding love for my spouse by you know sort of always having only one foot in the relationship and having you know being willing to to sort of leave it out on a whim right as soon as things get hard right. we actually think the opposite with right. those relationships right. that it's maybe when th- when the novelty has worn off when things get a little hard that we actually start to get formed in what we would say is the substantial love for someone and it works the same in the church I think. You know, I think I think that the discipline of stability is really just an acknowledgement that as humans, we have to stay put for a while before we can be um, meaningfully cultivated in love. 
And with that analogy, uh, which is obviously so biblical, the bride of Christ, mm -hmm. the language of, the, of marriage and the church, that idea, and which can maybe be a little bit liberating, that idea that there, there is, can, maybe even should be a sort of romantic phase, a Twitter-pated phase, <laughs> like the crush, yeah. like the moment in which this is the greatest thing ever mm -hmm. until it's not, right. or until it's much harder than that, mm -hmm. and some of that has worn off, and some of that maybe naivete or emotionalism mm -hmm. uh, subsides, that that might not be a sign of it's time to go looking again but that might be a sign of oh good now you're entering into a deeper form of love right. commitment decision making that will genuinely shape and cultivate you beyond the person you showed up as and as feeling all right. those things uh, through that 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 heart um, now that heart is being asked to be something more something beyond itself uh, right. something that that as you say is called love yeah. um, the love that sacrifices that lo love that surrenders um so maybe for people because i think a lot of times at least in the world that i come from and which you in part of course share that evangelical world of sort of contemporary christianity yeah. is so driven by emotion is so driven by that is how i know god is speaking to me that's mm -hmm. how i know he's present with me is that i feel certain things and I can, and if I don't feel it, he, I don't think God's here, or I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be, or right that that we would read our hearts based on what has been either stirred up or not stirred up. And you're saying this kind of goes beneath and beyond that to a form of promise or a form of commitment of showing up, um, whether or not in spite of. I think people can hear that and just be like, ugh. <laughs> Right. Like, so, okay. Yeah. So this is, this is dry, awful experience of just doctrine and, you know, whatever, what kind of Christianity, right. you know, you, you want us to commit, of course, I'm sure you want us to commit to your church, right? Like stick around at my church, right? Mm -hmm. That there's some, there's, there's like a suspicion that what we're actually inviting people into is just sort of a dry, maybe more rationalistic, maybe right. more sort of, you know, cognitively choose to love your spouse in the morning, whether mm -hmm. you feel it or not can sound like a really lame marriage uh, if that was yeah. really what it was every morning. <laughs> exactly. I don't feel this again, honey, but I'm going to choose, you know, gosh darn it, because I made a promise, you know. Um, right. So we're not, we're not saying there's some abandonment yeah. of experience, of presence, of joy, of any of the things that maybe the, the sort of childishly romantic heart that's seeking its home in a church is, is in part being inflected by. Um, what we're saying is that is that those things reemerge on the other side of that kind of commitment. Yeah. That certain of those things take take time to be formed at all. Um, I guess I, I can you hear that person who's just like saying, "Yeah, okay, you guys, you know, seminary, you know, whatever." And so you're this, you know, going to tell me that right. this is the right way to be. And yeah. the, when when you said trapped in a monastery, they heard trapped in trapped, a monastery. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you're stuck. This here is the now. holy yeah. life, right? It's like prison, right? So what would we say? Because we are dealing with our time. Mm -hmm. People who have been more shaped, surely, by culture than by uh, St. Benedict's, uh, you know, rule of stabilitas. Yeah. Um, so how do you lead people, let's say even in your own church, into or out of and then into um, the thing that you said is is the thing, that, that, that idea of commitment of sticking around? Yeah. 
No, it's a great question. I think I think there's an experiential element to it too, and then I think maybe a, a theological element to it as well. So I'll start with the experiential. Um, we 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 dwell sometimes on this idea of stability as uh, in the language of kind of incarceration, kind of like you just you 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 you, you just a, yeah, it's a trap, right? <laughs> like you know, uh, we hear that voice in our head, and and you know, I have heard and 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 continue to hear the voice of the person. This is why well, I suppose you want me to commit. This is just your way of kind of getting me to like not, you know, not leave your church, right? Well, you know, in my my own directive practice and my own, um, you know, working with people and helping them cultivate their spiritual lives, this comes up, you know, as I, th- you know, I, I occasionally run into a person that says, I think um, I'm being called to this other place. So it's like, let's commit that to prayer and let's talk about that. Um, the The discipline of stability isn't, to be understood, I think, in an, as an abstraction in a vacuum, right? It's couched in the um, the living experience of the relationship we have with God and one another, which are essential to the Christian life. Um, and so it's not like, it's not stability understood as a kind of cold um, uh, and immutable fact. It's, it's understood um, as a conditioning reality that conditions our experience of being part of the church. So what it isn't is a kind of hard and fast um, behavioral standard that incarcerates a person, right? Now, with monks, you know, that, that, was, that was a thing, right? Because you, you, you made a consenting vow to the discipline of stability, right? right? So even if, it, you know, the, the, the sort of um, day-to-day experience of that may fluctuate, but what made it was, it was that, that, that assent to this thing, that assent to that reality. So when I'm talking to the person who... Um, may want to leave. Um, I've 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 helped people leave my church before. I've helped to send people on their way if it does seem through prayer and 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 sort of meditation together um, that they are indeed being called and that it would be f- fruitful to their spiritual life to do so. Um, people move. People develop in different ways. The spirit works in 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 these ways with people, and it's it's the case that sometimes they are to spend a prolonged season with me and then go on somewhere else. I recently had a, a very dear friend do that, um, where he's, you know, he was, he was, he was with me for a while. And, and then he, he felt a, a calling to a particular monastic order mm. <laughs> actually. And, mm. and that, um, that we don't, that, that isn't uh, available in our tradition. And so, um, and so after a long period of, of processing, it's like, you know, go with God, you know, mm. go in the Lord, go with you. Mm. And so, um, it, but but what I did advise, and what I continue to advise anyone who's on a similar, who's making a similar judgment call, say wherever you go, be there for a while, stick around for a while, mm. right? So because it's it, so so that even even if we do have to make a change, we should make it deliberately. We should make it um, with great um, with, with with sort of with great prayer and great meditation. It shouldn't be made um, in the short term. We commit it to time. We commit it to. Um, to a, a kind of dialogue, but yeah, no, I think we got to get past the incarceration imagery, <laughs> and, and here's another way we get past that, yeah. that imagery in the experiential side of things is we get past it by by seeing in our own selves um, the need for others to commit to the discipline of stability too, right? So far from it, from my own commitment to this discipline, where I'm committing to be among these people, um, there is a reflexive thing that happens too, where I rely on that that same commitment in others to feel safe enough to be who I really am, mm. right? 
like I think about my relationship to my wife, I, I rely on her commitment to me to actually feel safe enough to be my authentic self. Right. Um, and in the church where we're all in this sort of hospital for souls, where we actually have to disclose the conditions of our souls in order to make, you know, to, and actually to grow with God and one another, um, we have to have safety to be vulnerable enough with who we really are. And that requires a kind of underst mutual understanding that if you tell me something about you, I'm not going to bail on you mm. for that. I'm going to continue with you here in that. And so I think, you know, we, we think of it in terms of like, oh, this is going to limit my options. This is going to limit what I can do. Um, but we also realize that if I'm going to actually be who I am, I need other people to do that too. And that, 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 that gives it a new context, I think. And then the, the body is, is just not an individual making certain choices right. uh, unto themselves. Even the language you used of you with someone praying and meditating over a decision, even if it's a decision to be called yeah. to a different place, uh, implies a form of church and pastoring mm -hmm. that is relational, that is about what we would maybe call spiritual friendship, that yeah. is... Um, that is about a connection between people t for the purposes of everything, including discernment about change, uh, that those things aren't uh, off the table, but that to do them and to do them carefully and well with another and with others is part of the fundamental way in which the Lord can bring clarity mm -hmm. so that you don't have that sneaking suspicion that I am sort of just hopping from place to place, and I am pretty rootless in my in my commitments. Right, I'm still just looking for that better church somewhere. Um, so that idea that in the body you have a place because you have a place among the other members of the body, right. and that the body needs uh, all of its members to be fully what Christ has called any sort of local church expression to be. Um, do you think that idea? Be, maybe because we get so used to um, the flexibility of, I mean, you and I would probably quote these kinds of things to our students all the time about, you know, you're, you're going to have upwards of 11 careers over sure. the next 20 years, you yeah. know, when you actually enter into the workforce, many of the jobs you're going to have don't exist yet because things are changing so rapidly. So you want to make sure you're, you're being trained in certain kinds of skills and dispositions and habits rather than particular sort of technical whatever, because that might not be even around by the time you enter right. the workforce. Um, the reality of, of the fluidity of the marketplace of, of this career landscape, um, the, the way in which that has so affected us, do you think that in coming to people and saying, you have a place here, do you think part of the reason that is so difficult is because it is frightening, like to be um, expected, like to, to, to think that there would be an empty chair if you weren't there and people would be like, oh, where, where, where are they? You know, that, yeah. that you can get so used to that flexibility and fluidity, even if it can be exhausting, even if it could lead us to having 15 jobs and never stopping until we, you know, crash at night and then starting to hustle again with a bunch of different, you know, patchwork kind of ways of making it month to month yeah. or whatever, especially in Orange County or places where it's particularly expensive to live. Um, I'm thinking of just that that shaping may not be in anything, anything that people desired at some point. And yet, um, once you get used to that, I mean, maybe it does feel sort of scary to to show up and be seen 
again and mm-hmm. again and again. You talked about exposing the soul and all its sort of loose ends, crackling nerves, all these things. Um, do you think that is is a big part of why it can be tough to stay put? Yeah, I do think so, um, and I and I th- and I, I think we do draw. Um, we draw metaphors for the spiritual life from our environments, right? Sometimes properly and sometimes very improperly. Um, in the case you mentioned, right, where we've been, we're being conditioned by our economic mm. reality, um, where we're in, we're in kind of a gig culture, right, where we have to we have to piece things together sometimes, who can, who right? Who own a house, Hayden? Exactly, who can right? <laughs> in South Orange County. Yeah, and and you know, I'm, I've had the experience of having you know five to seven jobs at one point, yeah. and you know, and and piecemealing an income together, and and it does keep you moving quite a bit, right? And you and sometimes you can draw, I think, a metaphor from that for the spiritual life that I I kind of have have to have a you know quote unquote gig spirituality, mm-hmm. right, where. Um, I need to get a little bit of something from here and a little bit of something from over here, a little bit of something from over here. Now, there's 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 something there's something potentially good in this and and needful in this, right? Because um, there is it, it can kind of give us a sense of creativity, hmm. right? Where we say, you know, okay, so I'm at this church, right? Where uh, you, you know I'm at this church where there's this is the landscape of things that they're strong at, they're maybe not so strong at. And it may be that in the areas where the church isn't as strong, it may be a, a call for creativity and you know a little bit and, and some and some um, diligence to pursue, you know, reading something that might augment what I'm learning or reading reading something that I can bring into the community mm. that they can then help. It, it creates a little bit of a of an entrepreneurial spirit there, right? Um, it can be a good thing there. What what I think is the flip side of that coin, though, is. Um, our, our sort of gig mentality can also give us a sense that, well, there's just, I'm going to despair of the hope that I'm going to have a central thing that, that I maybe augment and say, I'm just going to be kind of s- skipping across a lot of different experiences of my own curating um, that, um, that are going to somehow piecemeal together this ideal for church or the spiritual life. Um, and that's where things I think can get a little dangerous because, um, you know, uh, the, again, to drop back to the discipline of stability, um, it's where we, it, it, you know, it, it, bring, it brings us back to, a, to, to being in place, right? Um, to being among a people. Um, and one of the things that, that I think the church has a duty right now to speak in prophetically into our culture, especially one that is driven by this kind of economic model, um, is to say, is to testify to the truthfulness of what it means to be human and say, yeah, Economically, you may have to kind of be all over the place, but as a human being, the way that God designed you to be, you need a people. You need a place, right? Um, you need to be present there, and your part in that is deeply significant for you to be there, to continue showing up. Um, because there's all kinds of truths of the spiritual life that are communally understood, that are only communally understood, that can't be understood as a kind of... Uh, uh, intellectual or creative exercise that we curate for ourselves or that you or I as pastor curate for them right which I think is like okay if they move past themselves curating it then they need pastor mm-hmm. you know father Hayden to curate it for them right and and in some sense it sort of dissolves or blurs like the membership of the church or the mm-hmm. co- community of the church and becomes well I just need a spiritual director 
Oh, for right? sure. I just need uh, this this personal I need you know, a guru. Christian therapist, <laughs> yeah. guru, something yeah. to you know dig deep into the, those things and, and show me how to move forward through that. Yeah. Um, now, you and I will meet with people one-on-one mm-hmm. and, and navigate, especially in times of crises, um, and, and point the way of certain moments that we you know can discern the Spirit leading. Uh, as you say, pray with and for, and yeah. I mean, that that is pastoral, but that kind of, that, I don't know if it was in part that mega church or that, the evangelical model of, of the guru, of mm-hmm. this figure on a stage or a, a bit far away, maybe on a screen, maybe not, but that, okay, if I'm connected to this, right? And so people wouldn't necessarily even go to church, they'd get, they'd get the podcast recording of the right. sermon, right? Yeah. And the idea was like, this person, is, is a mediator, the director, the spiritual thing that I need in my life. Yeah. And these people are, are sweet and, and sometimes very kind and sometimes a little annoying and, and whatever. But you were saying, um, before I totally interrupted it, you were saying that there are things in the spiritual life and in the cultivation of the soul that are communally uh, mediated or, or um, delivered by the spirit that we cannot curate right. and plan for or even... Um, necessarily identify except as or after they've occurred. Uh, maybe even some of our work as pastors is to point back and say what the Spirit may have been doing or look what has happened right. because of the way you navigated through those times with this body. Yeah. Um, so to move beyond, okay, I'm here, but I'm really here because I want Father Hayden to guide me um, in everything, but to see the, the important role of the spiritual direction of the body. Um, how, I don't know if you have an easier, I, I don't always do this well at all. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, the better your sermon might be, the more likely I am to go to you and say, well, you clearly get it. So right. talk to me more. Right. Um, how do you negotiate that with, as a pastor, um, saying, yeah, of course you have this role, but part of that role is to not continue to point to your role. Yeah. No, it's, it's an amazing insight um, and, and, a, and a great, a challenging question. Um, I think I, have to, I, would have, I would point maybe to, uh, uh, you know, it, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that's impacted me is the wisdom of, of Henry Nowen on this, um, who's, a, who's a great person to read, you know, no matter whether you're a pastor or a lay person. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just great for everybody. Yeah. But um, in, in one of his books, he talks about the uh, temptation to be spectacular. Mm. Um, which is especially something that attends pastor types, um, but really all of us in some way, right? <laughs> Say, with, with or different teachers, people. Yeah. Or, or any. teachers definitely, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you know, we, we we have the and he describes the temptation to be spectacular as this um, this impulse to, um, to 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 that thing to be the guy, right? Uh, to be the gal, and um, to be the one that's sought out for the awesome sermon and mm-hmm. and all that. Um, Spiritual direction, though, um, and pastoring, and really just being a plausible Christian for that's that's oriented for others, um, is to constantly point beyond ourselves um, and to testify to um, the work of the Spirit and the Lordship of Christ, um, and that and it's constantly echoing who I think does this. You know, who, the the two people who do this most excellently, I think, um, are you know we have. Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Who cons- whose, whose last recorded uh, words in the Gospels are, 
do whatever he tells you, right? Or <laughs> yeah. point, pointing right. beyond, right? right? She does this excellently. Right. And, and in all the iconography of her, right, she always says, it's always, we look at her looking at her son, right? right. She's always pointing us to Jesus. The other person is John the Baptist, right? right? Who, who's always, he must increase, I must right. decrease, right? Simply a witness. Right, he, is, he testifies to Christ, right? Um, that, you know, is, in a nutshell is, is what we're all, you know, what we are all called to, to embody, I think. And, and, it, and it cuts across that desire to be spectacular because it reminds us that, um, it reminds us of our place. It brings a needful humility into that, into that encounter. Um, so, so I, I think, I think that's the beginning of something like that. But then I want to, I want to come back to another thing you said, um, which, which was thought provoking too. It was, um, it's this idea of, of the, the the stabilizing influence of not only our community now, but um, our place in the church now, but also our place in the church always. Mm. Um, which is, I think, I think it's at another element of stability, right? So this is more like the theological side of it. Um, so I think I think one thing we we're tempted to neglect is that we're part of a church that transcends. Um, time and space, right? Mm. It transcends time. Um, we are part of a living church that is held in life in Christ um, that has spanned centuries, right? Um, and that's also has to go into our definition and our understanding of stability, which then brings us back to, I think, a question of tradition again, of being in a place among a people. Um, because the reality of, of our life in Christ is com- is communal, not just with these people around us, but they are a kind of icon of what is um, throughout time, right? In both both past and future, is um, we are we are bound to these people who have lived sometimes you know over a millennium prior to us, and we are accountable to them in the same way that I'm accountable to you now. I love that idea. You know, we're and accountable so to them. That is a stabilizing thing because it, it, it diminishes the, the sense of fluctuation a whole lot, right? Because we become answerable to people whose concerns are not the pressing demands of our time, right? I have to think, if I'm going to live as a good uh, member of the body of Christ, I have to think about how my actions, how my teaching, how my behavior, how my, how my, how my engagement with the body of Christ um, how it how it is answerable to um, the apostles, mm. and how it's answerable to the great you know sort of Christians, and also the ones who have never been named in any document. Right, right. How I'm accountable to them to all the faithful departed in Christ. Um, Chesterton gives us the great uh, the great uh, language of the democracy of the dead, right? right. Um, and um, stability in our time, I think, so has to do that. that. Sorry, yeah, sorry, I just nodded yeah. it. So, but for those who don't know that line, <laughs> yeah. uh, what does he actually say? So, so it's this idea that um, when we're when we're thinking about um, when, when we're thinking about the church, we're we're thinking about people who have lived over centuries, and that they are alive in Christ. They're they have not been made irrelevant simply because they have died. Um, because they're even they, more alive. Yeah, in they're Christ. even more alive in Christ. They have gone into a greater <laughs> yeah, light. They've gone right. from strength to strength, right? right? In, increasing in wisdom and stature with God, and so. If anything, we should, you know, we should, we should, we should be very attentive to those who have gone before us. And so Chesterton's uh, idea of the democracy of the dead is that we need to give a voice um, in our understanding of the church now um, as being a continuation of what has been. Um, and this isn't restricted specifically to quote-unquote traditional churches. 
right? right? So we take, for example, a, a tradition you and I have both been a part of, which is the evangelical tradition. Evangelical tradition at its heart is, is always declaring Christ crucified and pointing people to how Christ is revealed in the scriptures, right? And amen. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's also been something, there's been that evangelical spirit that isn't just a 20th century phenomenon. It's, it's been present with us since the time of the apostles. Right. Who all, and and see, you, know, look at, you look at the writings of St. Paul, who is always declaring the, you know, Christ <laughs> right, crucified right. and opening the scriptures, right. Right? right? And then you see throughout every generation of the church people who do likewise. So if we want to be good evangelicals, right? We need to be evangelical in light of all those who have been evangelical before us, right. too. We do well to learn from them and be stabilized in our own understanding um, True by what they have said. is historic evangelicalism. It's exactly, and, because and, evangelicalism yeah. has always been present in the church. Because it's not a form. Right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's an energy. It's posture, a, it's a, energy. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, a, okay. it's a focus. Because I think that's like, and this is what's co- cool about this conversation, you're Anglican Catholic. Yes, that is high, high, high nosebleed from where I'm coming from. That's like nosebleed, yep. high. Smells and uh, bells. Smells and bells. I'm flannel and sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Flannels and sandals. Um, you know, like if yeah. we put up, you know, anything too, you know, like there's one painting on our wall. Right. And I, I would imagine at first some people might have been like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. an image in the sanctuary, you know, um, depending on whatever. But so we are very low church. Mm-hmm. And yet you and I are talking about the exact same thing. Yeah. And it's not, and this is also that, because that, there's that FOMO thing. And I experienced this like a seminary. It was like, okay, which form has it? Yeah. And which tribe do I need to sign up with? Where is my group? You know, what is, wh- who has it locked? And it was almost like seminary for not just myself, but maybe for people around me, it was like shopping for the right tradition. Yeah. Um, and yet what you and I are, are really um, sincerely and seriously um, believing and wanting to live out and point people toward is that this there, there is a Christian family, that the, the ecumenical spirit of Christianity, the, the creedal traditions, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, that, that they share the same God, the same family, same, that there is an overarching um, democracy of the same dead, mm-hmm. um, that we all have the same church fathers and mothers, and that it's sort of maybe, uh, I don't know, a certain jouissance to feel like you found the niche tribe that gives you like the win <laughs> on a better theology or yeah. a more aesthetically pleasing presentation of something or, or whatever the case may be. But that is just another way of saying for a moment, um, I felt something. And then, you know, after a little while, it's like, okay, right. right. It's just another way I think of setting us up to, to look somewhere else. Now we're tradition shopping. Yeah. Now we're forms shopping or whatever, even if we're like, and we think that that's the, the sort of graduate version of, of being a right. Christian is now I got to move on to the next, you know, higher form or, or whatever form that seems more, you know, whatever. So you and I, in our context, and then and in teaching at the same school, school in which you don't have to be a Christian to go to the high school that we right. teach at, for example, um, and we introduce our students to ideas that I know for a fact um, ruffle some parents' feathers, right? And like right. Uh, I get asked questions, I get asked questions every day about purgatory because of your class. <laughs> Do you believe in purgatory? I'm like I'm, I'm like almost a Pentecostal, like I, you know, I don't know. You blink and it's I don't know. And he's you know, but but Reverend Butler said you know you know because Dante said, and I go well he's probably right and he's probably telling you something that you need to think through and become <laughs> and stop deciding, you know. Um, but you know just like that commitment. 
to sit with the church, to sit with the historical church, to find ways for our students. This is what we love. This is what I love about the curriculum you guys made. This is why I wanted to work there is because it was, Oh, you're, you have to have church history. Right. Like I get that every Christian school has a Bible class and, and I'm a, as Protestant as you, as you get. And I am low church Bible, Jesus, me and Paul, right? Like that's how I grew up. And when I saw that it was, uh, it was unavoidable that you would just have church history and that that history was Bible theology in historical context up into the Renaissance or whatever that I would teach the sophomores um, for that year in particular, it was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want people who go to my church to have. Yeah. Um, that historical consciousness in my world and maybe also your world, because I think they're, they're fairly similar, is not something people show up with anymore in a way that they maybe couldn't escape in the past. Right. Um, so that kind of formation of a stability of our history, um, not this tribe or that tribe per se, but our history as as creedal Christians. Jesus is Lord. The Trinity is real. <laughs> you know, yeah, all those right, like right. the things that were hashed out and held to and fought for. Um, how do you get that into your church? How do you do you just teach church history? We've 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 done that on Saturday mornings. Sure. Four or five people show up, um, and you know, and that is what it is. And we will do it if four or five people show up and we'll probably do it again and again and again. How do you bring people that stability of their history? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, and, and, I, and I'll, and I'll speak from the perspective of a, of a quote unquote traditionalist church, right? A historical tradition, right? So, um, so traditionalist Anglican wasn't enough. I had to go Anglican Catholic. Yeah. 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 No, so there, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a spirit of continuity, um, in its better forms, mm-hmm. right? And in the better form, and, 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 but there's, there's that in, in any tradition I'm aware of, you have people that are attentive to their continuity with the church, um, and with the, the church throughout all ages, um, but I, but I'll also say that within a quote unquote you know traditional church, um, you have people who you know that you, you, there's there's also that historical ignorance that attends it at times, or a selective reading of history, a very selective reading of history sometimes, um, and the point of seeing the breadth of the church as it has been as it has grown throughout the ages is that it challenges the propensities we have now. Right. It puts um, it's a, it's a it puts a kind of prophetic voice that puts tension on our uh, inclinations, on the things we are readily inclined to want and to believe. Right. And even in Anglicanism. Right. You have you have selective readings of history. Like sometimes I have to break people out of the last 40 years. Mm. Right. Since the you know, since the great controversies of American Anglicanism and the, uh, you know, the, the controversies surrounding the Episcopal Church, for It'll example, take all the oxygen right. in the room. All it the time. will absorb yeah. everything, yeah. all our sensibilities, if we're not careful about it. Um, and so it's, it's continually even bringing a sort of historical tradition into a sense of its own history, first of all. Right. Um, but then I've also known that same thing to be true among Roman Catholics, among Eastern Orthodox, is, is that you have uh, you have sometimes a very selective reading of history that needs to be challenged by a robust reading of history. So I think, to come back to your question, which is a more practical question, how do we bring this into our church? Um, a couple of things come to mind. One is, as pastors, I think the way we preach and the way we direct souls 
needs to be continually refreshed by engagement with what has gone before us, right? So like when, when I do sermon prep, for example, one of the stages of my sermon prep is going back and reading, you know, what did John Chrysostom in the, you know, the early church think about this passage? What did Augustine think about it? What did Martin Luther think about it? What did John Calvin think about it? John Wesley, what did he, you know, and then all the way up to the last 50 years, what did, you know, Michael Ramsey think about it? Or, you know, or, and what does N.T. Wright think about it? And asking Christians, going and seeking, sitting at the feet of Christians throughout the centuries about this, and then letting that stabilize my own reading, hmm. letting that, again, sitting with them as my elder brothers and fathers in God and mothers in God too, mm -hmm. and saying, what do you think? What should I think about this? And letting them talk for a while and doing a lot of listening to that. I think as pastors, when we do that, both in how we direct people and how I think we need to be consulting our brethren throughout the centuries. I think as we think about it in more and more of a general sense, what we, what we can do is, is again, I think we practice a love for the historical church by beginning with an appreciation for the church we're a part of hmm. um, and leaning into that. I, I don't think it begins with a historical sense. I think it begins with a local sense. Hmm. Um, because if we can't love the, the brother or right. sister we see, how can we love right, the brother right, right. or sister we, we can't see, right? right. Um, and this is, again, calls us back to that discipline of stability. Um, because the, the local, you know, the, the local experience of church is this vicarious experience. It's an experience through which the whole reality of the church is mediated by the Spirit to us in the local manifestation of it. Um, this is effectively the church. We understand our parish model in this sense as Anglicans, right? We understand the parish is basically the church recapitulated in the local, right, in this place. And so, you know, if we are going to be the body of Christ, we're going to be the body of Christ here, right? In this time, in this place, right? Um, and it really is a it really is a kind of ne nearsightedness and a and a, and I think a, a, at some level an immaturity, and I, and I want to say this with with great charity, um, a, a kind of immaturity that's that that goes looking for the perfect church, that goes looking for the quote one true church. Um, the more mature people I know in all of these different traditions, the farther along they get, the more they grow in Christ through the, through these traditions, the more they start to see the the way they hold hands, the way that they they embrace one another, and they are a lot less hung up on on the language of like this is the one true way, and mm. they they move beyond that to a a kind of ecumenical spirit, right? Um, but I think, you know, the, this, the idea of the global historical, you know, the, the one church, um, it can't, it, it, we, we will experience it in the local or we won't experience it at all, right? You think we, you know, I, I, it comes to mind, I'm reminded of the great words of Dostoevsky, right? The Russian novelist who said, you know, it's like, because we really can't come to a love of, you know, humanity in general unless we begin with a love of a particular people, right? right. Which challenges us because local, the, the people in front of us are hard to love. Right. Because right. we know them right. and they, know, and they us. know us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me close with this question. Sure. I'm picturing a person hearing this, you know, maybe it, it it's it's tapping into things that they know, they know that's true. Um, but maybe there is also in their experience the being let down by the church or uh, being hurt by the church yeah. and passively, actively. I think 
in some ways as a as a zeitgeist maybe too much has been made of sort of how the church has sort of let everyone down and all these church experiences are are the worst thing that's ever happened because i wasn't greeted you know at the door or something you know i think sometimes it can be made too much of but there are people who are not making too much of it it's a genuine wound um and and maybe they're at the point where they have left that place it is not thinkable to return to that place to deal with that baggage or to try to heal the wound there. Um, and then because of that, it's hard for them to think of committing to any place. You and I as humans can 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 acknowledge and, and even joke about how messy people are or whatever, but that also leaves us open to the possibility that once again, we're gonna hurt each other. Um, someone that you thought was your friend uh, turns out to not not be committed to you and even if you committed to them or you committed to this this body um what would you say uh father hayden as uh to a person who is there there maybe it's just the at the level of i i know that's true i want that to be true um but i have this thing that is also true and i'm not sure how to let go surrender move through or or forward knowing that there isn't a perfect uh healing and you know blessed community of always great all the time people to receive me you know that that could be setting them up for another uh hurt if we are expecting that perfect church is is this next one or whatever so maybe they're being a realist about what the church is but that is also still true um, how would you uh, encourage that person? Yeah. I think I would begin by saying I'm sorry. On behalf, first of all, of all our lapsed pastoral brethren. And then on behalf of all our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, who have not acted well. And you don't need to dig deeply to find um, an overwhelming pool of examples of that in our time across all traditions. We are all in need of collective repentance for this right now. We have not acted well. I think I would go on to say that it's okay to leave an emotionally abusive church, that this call to stability is, again, not to be understood in the abstract as detached from relational realities, and sometimes relational realities are fatal and relationships are killed, and sometimes they're so toxic that that they need to be left. Um, that's a true and real thing. The Knowing when that is isn't always clear, but we, we do know it when we see it. Um, and just because something, a place is a church, does not mean that its emotional dysfunction is baptized. So I would acknowledge that and say, I'm sorry for whatever it was that um, pushed you away. But I'd also offer a challenge of hope that as someone myself who has scars from different parts of my spiritual upbringing um, and has someone who uh, 
um, has snuck in 10 minutes late to services to sit in the back row with the hopes that no one would see me. Um, mainly and mainly just kind of cried in the back row of, a, of, of, of church before. Um, as someone who was on his way out the door of Christianity. Um, there's always hope. There's always hope to begin again, to come back again to the great wisdom of Benedict. We can begin again. That's a real thing, and it's essential to the Christian gospel that even the worst thing can be made into the glory of resurrection, even the death of Christ. And even the wounds of crucifixion can be made glorious and are glorious. And if that's possible, um, the healing of our many wounds attained in the world and in the church, they can be healed if we'll come back and stick around and hope. Hayden Butler, thank you so much for um, this time, for your wisdom, your honesty, and for the commitments that you've made that, that make things like this collaboration possible, um, both at the school, to your church, um, but also just as a brother in Christ, um, living in the same place, trying to <laughs> walk with Jesus and help other people walk together with Jesus. Uh, I deeply appreciate it. Thank you, David. I'm grateful for this opportunity and for all the work you're doing, too. My friends, as we near the end of season one of this podcast project, we are wondering if there is enough interest and investment, frankly, in our listeners who want to hear a season two. If you are interested in this going forward into a second season, we would ask that you would visit the website from babylonwithlove.com. Click on the donate button for a, a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. We would hugely appreciate that, and it would also help us to make that decision about planning and preparing for season two. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and, and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe, and your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well, Think well and love well. Godspeed.